0: What is up, everybody? Listen, stop whatever you're doing. I want you to listen to this episode, uh, my episode with Mike G, who is just a staple in the CrossFit community. He's been around for more than a decade. One of the smartest guys I know, uh, considering to be a mentor of mine, worked with him for years. Um, there's some really cool stuff in here. We talk about nutrition. We talk about coaching. Uh, towards the end, we talk about some really cool stuff about like how to coach the assault bike, how to coach running using the air runner and some really useful ways to utilize those tools in your gym to provide your clients more value uh, by sharpening up your skills and understanding like those movements or those tools also need to be coached as well, just like the rower does. But normally we mail that stuff in. Um, So just a really, really fun chat with Mike G talking about training ourselves, talking about nutrition, talking about how to coach Uh, Those two pieces of equipment and uh, how to do it from a a group setting if you want to set up a a workshop or something like that But um, it's a really really good interview. Again, Mike G is one of the smartest guys in most rooms when it comes to this stuff uh, And it's because he's always trying to learn more information, but uh, I really hope you guys enjoy it. Here's my interview with Mike G All right, everybody welcome back to the best hour of their day Fern here my good buddy longtime friend Mike G Mike Giardina around the crossfit community forever the, i don't know if you know this or you do know this because you were there you were you were the flow when i like on my final internship i remember first of- had
1: you had did you have rob miller as I your did have,
0: i did have rob miller
1: yeah yeah i totally remember dude you, you were was fresh off of a i don't know how fresh but reasonably fresh off of a, an achilles uh, oh, that's right.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Probably, um, maybe like a year and some change. No, less than a year,
1: probably less than a year because we're doing double unders. And I want to say, you're like, you just you were just able to start like doing them again at that point. It was at a uh, king of pressure, right?
0: Yep, that's right. I was super nervous because i had a little snafu and the uh, level. <laughs> that's
1: the quiz. <laughs> that's oh,
0: a- I. I, I still have not let myself down from that. Like I still give myself a hard time about that. But I remember that, wants to know the story, I'm happy to tell you um, some other time. But yeah, it was it was funny because we came out of the trainer meeting mm-hmm. and you like we walking out. And you're like, man, it's just so refreshing to hear somebody just crush the progressions. And I was like, huh, funny story about that.
1: <laughs> That's right. And nobody, I didn't get a heads up on it, which is kind of cool. It's like a fresh yeah. start. Yeah. I'm like, ah, oh, man, yeah. you crushed it, dude. It yeah. never happens. <laughs> Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh,
0: but anyway, um, but yeah, so little backstory on Mike, uh, how long were you on seminar staff? 10 years?
1: A little bit longer. So officially, uh, I was starting kind of that internship process in 2007, I think officially on staff 2008. Ah, so, yeah, 11 years, 11 years.
0: And then uh, multi times game athlete on a team.
1: Yeah, well, dude, look, I showed up in two thousand eight because I bought the plane ticket for an individual. It, it counts, dude. Like last chance qualifier in two thousand nine as an individual. <laughs> in two thousand ten, like at that point, the game had already changed in two thousand ten. But somehow, I snuck in, and then I knew at that point that was the end of individuals. So I've three, three times I've, team. I've I've peaked. This is peaked. And now, dude, I'm on a I'm on a nice. Uh, I'm just waiting for sixty plus and i'm gonna, i'm going to go after it again not that it's easier than i just plan on outlasting the competition that's the goal
0: i'm big on the scaling these days like my 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 barbell weight like i really like 115 i don't care what it is but just put 115 on the bar and that's my that's my that's my
1: 135 is <laughs> heavy now man super heavy <laughs> is heavy oh we
0: super. were doing some back rack lunges today and i was like god damn this is heavy it was a 135 <laughs> i was like um, yeah. um, <laughs> I am despicable. This is terrible. Uh, but yeah, but also a flow master for years, uh, but it now is working for Assault Fitness. And um, so a little bit of what we're going to dive into today is a little bit of coach development. But um, what I think Mike has, which a lot of the listeners are going to really dig, is kind of some stuff we were talking about the other day, is digging into how to coach the bike and how to coach the runner, which I think is really, really cool. But before we get into that, is it true that I wouldn't say you that you developed it, but that you discovered the butterfly pull-up?
1: That's an interesting way to put it. In- interesting way to put it as discovery, because no, I didn't start it. You guys, uh, Brett Marshall, everybody knows. Brett Marshall, I think that's his last name, right? So I think that is his last name. Yeah, uh, Canadian. Canadian dude?
0: Uh, I think so, A, A, I don't A? know.
1: But so I remember watching him. It was funny story. If I remember his story correctly is he didn't like go out there and say, I'm going to do a pull-up that is like a, like a butterfly. Right. Um, it's that somebody was trying to teach him how to kip and he couldn't get it. And it, in his version of the kip just kind of morphed into the butterfly. And I remember watching him and James Fitzgerald do a workout or something. And I'm like, dang, I a, that's faster you know more efficient in terms of energy i mean there's less movement that's going on there it's a it's a tighter movement i need to learn how to do this and it was like early days of recording with your phone i don't even know what kind of phone i had it was like a, a blackjack or something You <laughs> <laughs> remember those They definitely wasn't it in, that, in those days uh and i recorded it and i would just sit there and watch it and try it at crossfit atlanta and he did it he did it on like the the cable Crossover machine bent bar with like the. Oh experience. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Almost embarrassed to say this. So then we convinced Dan McDougall, who the owner of CrossFit Atlanta, to take one of the pull-up bars and cut it down the middle <laughs> so we could do we could do butterfly pull. Uh, it was about a year later. we were like, damn, that was a big mistake because then you just ruined the whole bar and Here, like
0: now we can't <laughs> use this bar anymore. I, I think I remember. <laughs> I think I remember seeing, like, I think it was a video of you doing a butterfly pull up, like, I don't even remember what year it was, but I was just like, oh. That was in Jupiter, Florida,
1: I think, is when I, when we we did that video. And I it was like the so. split bar, right? Wasn't it? this like, I think,
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: So like, no, it's just man. like,
0: what am I watching? This is incredible. And then, like everybody else, I flailed around like a moron for months trying to figure it out. And then, because uh, nobody knew how to long teach long it back day. then. Like, nobody could I teach it. They're just like, ah, yeah, you can either it do is. it or <laughs>
1: Yeah, nobody. Just fall would to through. Say. Fall through. Don't. Yeah, cut cut the pull-up bar. That that'll do it.
0: <laughs> if I could just if I could get that object out of the way of my chin, this would be so much easier. I yeah, just go right
1: through it. Oh man. Yeah, I think uh, it was Sherwood who who um, started the rumor at a at, a, at Sherwood. At Probably a, he's good for some rumors. Rumor. Yeah, yeah. Hey guys, this is Mike G. He invented the butterfly pull-up and just took one one seminar and it was like. I always felt Let's, bad. Man. I mean,
0: listen. I there's bad. worse things to be known for. There's worse things? I know.
1: but you know, poor Brett, he did it. He was the inventor of it.
0: Well, li- I mean, listen. Good for you for giving credit where credit is due. Like, it's yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah. Um. The other thing I wanted to ask you was, is it weird to watch yourself at a level two during the test be a bad coach while your participants are taking that test?
1: Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I have a hard time not laughing when I was watching it, especially there was the, uh, gosh, I don't even know if we're allowed to, we'll just call it the high five, you know, the high five at the end of one, so we don't yeah. give details about the actual test, so it like, doesn't give anything away, just like that.
0: Uh, so for those of you that haven't taken level two, it's a lot of video analysis in there, and there's a lot of like coaching demonstration, and Mike G has a lot of the coach in there, and uh, some of them he's good, some of these not so good.
1: Dude, funny story about that too. Boz and I went, you know, well, he lives there. So but I went out, I went to uh, Northern California to the HQ offices to film this. And I think uh, we we were going to have a coach. Like, it just we had somebody to fill the role and they couldn't come there. And they were like, okay, guess it's going to be you. So, yeah, like, no practice, man. Just show up. <laughs> just start trying to act and, and be a good coach and bad coach. And it was fun. It was fun. Well, I mean, at least you've got at
0: least you had some experience in there because that's a lot of what you do at the level one and the level two is demonstrating cool. a lot of that stuff so yeah. yeah i thought your bad coach was appropriate <laughs>
1: yeah yeah and, you know it's it was great
0: my question is were you acting or was that actually your coaching
1: Yeah, well, that's right well we'll never know you we'll know World will never, yeah. i did like looking at some of the participants faces when when the, you could tell when the like first looking up Person. like he's wearing that it's hat but I'm pretty shirts. sure that's him <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally oh man
0: uh but I did want to ask you kind of like because I man, I'm trying to remember so you got on staff what year so like 2008
1: mm-hmm. what
0: was because because you're at CrossFit Atlanta and so how did you kind of make your way or like start making your way and it's you're like hey I want to be on seminar staff I don't actually think I know that
1: yeah, um, man, you know, so so that was 2007 when 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 that first started, and um, I went to my level one, and, and it blew me away. I remember, you know, uh, Greg Glassman, Coach Coach Glassman was still uh, he was giving lectures, right? So he was running the course. It was him, and Dave, and Nicole, and Annie, and uh, and Sherwood. You know, and they're at the seminar and coach is doing the majority of the of the lectures, and I was just like, Holy cow, man, this is blowing my mind. I, I got in my car, I drove home, and I like, called my parents and friends and everybody because it was in Raleigh and I was in Atlanta for this long drive home. And I just called everybody and I just wanted to be a part of it. In some way, I wanted to be a part of it. So obviously, I went back to Cross Atlanta and I started coaching. And and at that time, seminars in the southeast probably happen, i don't know once a month or something i don't remember but the frequency wasn't me
0: that might even be a little high high.
1: yeah a couple months so it gave me some time to start coaching and get some experience and when i saw one that was coming close uh dan mcdougall had a good has a good relationship with greg and he did at the time uh dan would show up and he'd help coach and i was like hey i want to I want to show up, I want to do that too. Like, how can I, how can I help? I just come with you and, and I'll set up med balls or whatever. So if there were a couple where I just would come with Dan and then slowly I became part of an internship process but it wasn't nearly as uh, laid out as it is now, right? So it was super informal. And through that, I, don't, I didn't even at the time didn't even realize that it could potentially lead to a job. Once again, I was just happy to be there and, and do whatever I, whatever I could. So it was like, you know, I, I would help out with the pull-up station or help out with this, help with that. And then um, I remember one day we were in Decatur and uh, it was Nicole came up and she was like, hey, would you, you want to do this? Do you want to be on staff or looking for, you know, East Coast staff? And I was like, I didn't know there was an option. <laughs> Hell yes. Like, that's exactly what I want to do. Yeah. So it just kind of evolved. It, it wasn't a planned thing to actually be a staff member. I just wanted to show up and be a part of it in some way because it was, it was just
0: such a big deal to me. I think that's like the people that I admire the most all fall in that category where like it was never a thing that they're just like, they're like, it wasn't a money thing. It wasn't for recognition. It was just like, I will literally give my arm to just be a part of that crew. I don't give a shit what it takes. And all the people that I consider like my kind of like mentors, people that I look up to, they all fall in that bucket. And like I, I, I think I'm probably like would like to think I'm the same way because like that's all I ever saw is just like man, like I don't, I don't care what this is about. Like I just, yeah. I want to be associated with that. Yeah. At some way, yeah. shape, or form.
1: Yeah. You just saw it was like it was groundbreaking, man. It was, it's such an interesting thing to say it's groundbreaking too because it's a lot of. You know, the cool thing about CrossFit is it takes a lot of these different areas, as we all know, and puts them together. So it's, it's, but it's just groundbreaking in, in the, the science, the explanation behind it, the presentation of it, packaging of it. Um, you know, Coach, the way that he could explain it and just connect with the audience to see the, the like light bulbs go off in the audience. And uh, Man, I was just like, dude, this is changing people. This is changing fitness. It's changing people. Say, you know, instantly you feel it changed you. I was like, I wanna do that. I wanna be a part of that. Somewhat. Somewhere. Even if I'm just carrying around medicine balls, like I wanna come back and, and see it again, you know?
0: I'll be the water boy. I'll just show yeah, up.
1: Yeah. No problems.
0: Um, it's interesting you bring up the patch the packaging of it and stuff like that. Cause I did wanna ask you because I I would largely consider like you and Joe Alexander like very much in the same category, which is like you wouldn't necessarily know it, but probably two of the smarter guys in the room when it comes to fitness and CrossFit <laughs> um, Joe, Joe's he, Yeah,
1: that guy. But thank you, thank you for putting me on. on so, well. you,
0: you know, like, I, cause I remember when you were going through your master's program and like you were like, cause you're one of the people that I have always kind of noticed from afar. They're just always seeking more information, like no matter what it is, like in, in some way, shape or form. And because you what's your master's in again?
1: Well, two. Um, one is exercise science and like exercise physiology, and then the other one is epidemiology and biostatistics.
0: Yeah, two things that I will never, um, yeah, I get a master's in. So, but <laughs> I no, I have, I have, I have like great respect for that because I'm doing, I'm doing my master's right now in sports science, and I'm just like awesome, man. Well, I yeah, not so much because I remembering like how much I'm not good at school and how much I hate it, but. It is different when you're doing, yeah.
1: Apply it, like that's what I learned about, that's what I thought is like, as I'm going through it, there was a a lot of new stuff that I was learning but I can very quickly apply it to all the experience you have, which is unique because most students that are going through there they, all they have is educational experience. They don't have training experience. So there is no way to apply it to any experience that they, you know what I mean? It's all theoretical to them.
0: Well, that's funny. Cause where I, I guess I would, I thrive, I say that air error quotes, but I thrive in some of those discussions, yeah. I, you know, like this is, I, there's people that have said a lot of things about me in, in this world, but one of them, my teacher's like, this is the best response I've ever had. I'm like we got to find you another pool of students because <laughs> that is the best response you've ever had. I'm like, you were scraping the bottom of the barrel, my friend. Um, but what I wanted to ask you was, I think it, what I, what I think is very interesting because I've worked with you, you know, I wouldn't say a ton, but enough to see that even as you progressed the amount of knowledge that you were accumulating, I've never seen you kind of speak over the head of the audience that you were working with. And I don't know if that's something that you do intentionally or it's, or it's just something that you're aware of, but you know, I've seen you in particularly in some of the nutrition talks and stuff like that, where, where people would kind of challenge you and you, and you had your wherewithal, I guess, to like, keep your cool and basically very politely say, I'm smarter than you. (laughs) Um, But is that something that you work on or like, or is that just,
1: yeah. Yeah, I think it is something I I work on. But you know what it is, where it comes from, is um, it it comes from how I digest material, you know what I mean, like how I learn. So when I'm studying a topic or I'm trying to learn a topic, um, I'll learn it the way it's presented first, which is usually pretty technical, right? And then try to Um, relate it to something in my experience um, and then I'll try to explain it to myself and be able to explain it in a more simple term and when I'm finally comfortable with taking this information and then writing it down and explaining it into something that's very simple and makes sense to me then I know I have a good grasp of that topic does that make sense yeah it's interesting that it just worked out that way because it wasn't you know, as we teach in the level two, that's great, right? If you have all this technical information and then you can simplify it and present it to everybody so they understand, that's awesome. But that wasn't my original intention. Original intention was just making sure that I understood it properly and being able to you know, almost like explain it to myself in simple terms. If I could do that over and over and over and over again without looking at it, and i was like, okay, now I understand this because I took it. It's technical. I took it. I broke it down. Now it's simple. Now I can talk about it. Got any problems, that concept is there. I got it.
0: And that, it's interesting because you and I were talking before we hit record about just effective coaching and like you're watching, you know, your kids gymnastics. And I was just watching one of my coaches kind of go a little bit late in the course. And it's, that's something that I, I try to do the same thing is because, you know, like I'm just not, I wouldn't consider myself, I would say I have a, a, a pretty good amount of experience, but I wouldn't consider myself like somebody who's technically smart. But there are certain things where I'm the same way where like, I have to break that down into these really small bites, and then what the, I consider myself to know something if I can explain it to somebody without using any technical verbiage. You know like, very much like we do in the level two. It's like, okay, and, and that's coaching, but can you explain something like some of the mechanisms for insulin or diabetes? Like can you take that and like explain it to somebody like casually at dinner and get them to understand it?
1: Yeah, you know I mean it's that's a um, the, the issue with some of those is, is you can do it. you're gonna, you're gonna miss some of the details right yeah, and,
0: yeah for sure. like there's no way to do that casually, but I think the process of breaking it down to yeah. as much as possible is the point.
1: That's the thing. You just have to simplify. you know and the harder one sometimes is like is it the, the thing about eating and, and, and diabetes now is think like a lot of people, to some degree, understand the mechanism, right? The interesting thing with some of the chronic diseases like that is there's enough education now for people to understand um, the reasons why it's happened, the mechanisms behind it. It's just creating, creating action now is the hard part.
0: But. Yeah, like getting people to do something about it.
1: Yeah. You know, the harder one is like, hmm the ketogenic diet or something, you know, as we, you know, Bethany and I, Bethany my wife, we we've experimented. We, we try to experiment with everything. When I was giving nutrition uh, lectures at the level one, a big thing for me was I would love, I always tried to have some experience in any popular diet within the CrossFit community. That way, when, whenever I was asked about it, I, I had the, the information I would study it, and I'd, and I'd have the the technical information, and, but I'd also have the, the anecdotal evidence. i kind of match that up and give my experience, and I always felt like it was a a better answer if I could, you know, to a question, if I could do it that way. So, but then taking somebody like a family member, if I go visit my my mom in New York, and they're like, hey, what's the ketogenic diet? And then I'm trying to explain that. That's where it can kind of get, guess uh, you know, yeah, somebody
0: who's not in the fitness or nutrition world at all. And you're like, damn! I thought that was—I thought I knew this, but I definitely yeah. didn't know this as well. I like, yeah, sure.
1: yeah. And you can you can explain it, but the simplification is the hard part. You're like, ah, well, yeah, you use that, yeah. and then I mean, the liver is making ketones. They have three different <laughs> types of ketones, and like, don't even know what you're talking about. You lost me.
0: Yeah, your yeah. parents are like, all right, well, we're gonna go out now.
1: Yeah, but you can say things like. You know, you typically use glucose, and uh, what we want to do is we want to have less reliance on glucose, and you're going to use fat. Fats are going to create this other fuel source, and this other fuel source can be used for almost anything that you do. You know, you can kind of, you can simplify it to some degree, but it's just trying to simplify it and show the the utility behind it.
0: On that note, just because I know you're a big reader, just all of all types of stuff, is there... um either fitness or nutrition book that you would recommend that coaches read to basically to to up their technical knowledge, right? So we know we don't want to talk that way, but like, is there something that people, a book that they could read, even if it's like a textbook that they could start arming themselves with information to have those conversations? Because one thing I do think a lot of folks in the community don't do very well is we get in this CrossFit bubble and there's only CrossFit. And I'm like, listen, man, there's a lot of stuff out there, and you need to be able to speak to as many of these things as possible because, believe it or not, there is a lot of crossover between like what other people are doing and how they're training and nutrition and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, we we tend to get blinders on <clears throat> because CrossFit is so effective that we ignore everything else outside of that bubble. They're just like, no, no, yeah. CrossFit. If you ask me, like CrossFit is the way. Eat meats and vegetables and seeds and you know, all that stuff. But sure. – I should still be arming myself with as much information as possible. Like, is there anything that you've read in the years you're just like, this is good information?
1: You know what's interesting, but that's hard because with nutrition, I don't know if there's ever ever one thing where I was like, this is the one. The one thing that's helped me is trying to read uh, a little bit about all sides and and never be so nailed down to one side that you're, you're unwilling to read or learn from somebody else. And a good, I'll tell you a good example of that. Somebody who, if it has some things in common with um, maybe we call CrossFit nutrition, right? But other things that are not is a guy a, a named um, I'm probably going to his name. I'm sorry if you ever listen to this. It's like Stephen or Stephen Gaunet. You ever heard of
0: I think it's Uh Yeah, yeah. He was on Joe Rogan with Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. He so he was thinking I think it's
0: DNA. I think it's DNA. DNA.
1: Yeah. He has a very interesting approach to how the brain is the culprit behind obesity, and uh I really enjoyed reading that because he. So I think there's. I mean, he's a he's a neuroscientist, like a, a neuroscientist. Yeah. So obviously he's way smarter than, this than I am. So for me to say, I think there's some thing to this <laughs> I mean you know that sounds pretty stupid on my part but obviously there's something to it but there was something about it that, like just yeah. really resonated with me when I started looking at you know personal experience with uh, people that we've trained and talked to who had some type of it's called food addiction or BC or chronic disease that had all the education and all the information needed use it's really hard to get them to convince themselves or their brain to do the right thing you know um but no you know that's just one example i I think um i don't think there's any one book that i could suggest my suggestion was don't rely on one book don't rely on one book you know uh, find something in in the super low (laughs) carbohydrate realm you know yeah there are some great people out there you you look at rob wolf's stuff his stuff is great you look at like um uh dr um, uh, uh lustigs yep. his is really good. Um like I said, the can I say his name I mean, again. I think it's
0: Giana. I think it's Giana. Probably butchering yeah, him, but his, I'm pretty sure it's Stefan Giana.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. This book is great. Obviously top stuff is good. Uh it's amazing. And uh everything from good calories, bad calories to uh what was that his last one? Uh sugar the um
0: um is it is it uh why we
1: now, if there's one after that, anyways, you know, well, you can, yeah, I, yeah. you'll see his list of books. So my, yeah, the main thing is, and even if it's low carb, car, man, if there's somebody out there that, here's one thing I know, processed food, if anybody's promoting processed foods, I would probably stay away from it, right? I mean, there's, I don't think there's anything, there, there's nothing that's convinced me that you should eat processed foods and it's going to be healthy for you. Um, so I think, you know, I, I think... And that's what I think is so great about CrossFit's nutrition. Uh, uh, what they what they promote in the course is you know, eat meat, vegetables, nuts seeds, some fruit, low starch, no sugar. And uh, within there, man, like if you know you're eating vegetables, you're eating fruits, you're just eating whole foods, like that's gonna cover imagine if everybody just did that.
0: Probably, probably would wouldn't have, you
1: have chronic argue about like yeah. being under 30 grams of carbs per day or 100 grams it's like you know what dude if you're eating berries and broccoli to get your 100 grams awesome you know you're 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 we're going to be okay
0: what i think is interesting about the whole nutrition i don't even want to say controversy but there's a lot of people that have conflict with each other i guess it would be one way to describe it and if you really listen to and you read some of their stuff they agree on like 99% 99. 99% of it. <laughs> yeah, And it's just like, you guys are arguing about 1%. And, it's, and I don't know if that's because some people just want to be right, but I'm just like, man, like if we just remove like this minor thing from the equation, they're saying the same shit, which is like, you need to eat high quality foods, stay away from their fine stuff and measure it. Like whatever the, whatever the fuck that looks like for you, measure it. And then, yeah. and then repeat that process over and over.
1: Repeat it. Yeah, that's it. And even with me- like, I think for me- and, and this is a, an opinion, but I think for measuring, measuring is like maximizing results, with maximizing results, which is great, and it, and it could be aesthetic results, you know, it could be could be health results, could be performance results, whatever it is, but it's maximizing. But to get a a, a large amount of those results, you could just eat high quality
0: foods yeah that's it
1: high
0: quality foods i i am I mean, a firm it's believer
1: simple, it's, not, yeah, it's not
0: easy it's not easy yeah and, and coach lasman says it the best he's like simple yeah. not easy um yeah. but yeah. i'm i'm a firm believer that like once a year you should do some sort of weighing and measuring just to calibrate your eye but the rest of the year you're probably okay without doing it like, okay. you know because yeah. once you know this stuff like you can make those decisions, but what you can't do is somehow convince yourself that eating that shitty food is good. You know. Like, once you know, you know. You can't unknow it. And it's like, that—that that, being armed with that alone will put you in a better spot. We're just like, listen, I, this is a shitty meal. I know yep. I need to get back on track.
1: I think there's something to be said for that, right? You know, and then at that point, it's your decision. You know, it's like, I, I can eat this shitty meal. I know it's a shitty meal. Tomorrow, I'm back on for sure. You know, one one of the principles, and I don't think this is for everybody, but one thing that um, I've kind of been practicing lately that's helped out is I've kind of shied away from strict keto for a while. Um, And my gross carbs and net carbs are higher than they have been for probably the last couple of years. Um, But I've reduced my eating window. So it's kind of an intermittent fasting thing. You know, but there's no—it's not the same every day. It's just kind of by feel. So it's usually somewhere—it's usually somewhere between 16 hours of fasting to like 22 hours of fasting, and it really just depends on what's going on during the day. And sometimes there's not even that much. Sometimes it's a little bit less. Um, and I also there's there's that rule, just kind of reduce the window, and then two, don't eat three hours before bed. And those two things alone were amazing okay i so mean what kind of results you can get from that because one it's harder to make those bad decisions with that reduced window um and make better decisions control quantity a little bit more i'm not hungry in the morning anyways and i've lost this reliance to food i mean how many years have we uh heard about the every three hour you should eat thing right you remember like how they like get to ramp up your metabolism eat every three hours like that's drilled in us man there are people that are still saying that stuff and, you know what I mean? Like I just don't agree with that. I don't think you you should eat by a clock. Nobody eats by a No animal eats by a clock. No. That's not the way that we we work. No, there's nothing nothing that says that any animal should eat at a certain time, you know, time span throughout the day. Um, and 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 I think that like carried over for many years, even into CrossFit for me, where it's like, oh God. Been three hours, man, I need a snack. I need something. Like if I don't do that, I'm not going to perform well. I'm like, yes. It's like, it's great. You lose this reliance to that. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're traveling or it just not good food available. And it's been like a few hours I and mean, like, screw it. I'll just wait till I get home and I'll have some great options available because I'm not, I don't, I know that I'm going to be okay if I don't eat right now, you know? That's
0: yeah. That's something that I've, I've also started doing is that, when presented with like either a bad option or not eating, I I've started to gravitate towards not eating, and I'm and I'm like I'll be fine, I won't die. You'll be fine, I'll, I'll be alright. I, I think
1: there's there's obviously a physiological mechanism to hunger. Totally, I mean we can't deny that, right? Of course there is. I think there's a mental side to hunger, where it's like we're just used to eating, and when you miss that meal, like mentally, your body's like hey, you gotta eat, you gotta eat, you gotta eat. Yeah, it's, it's
0: habitual. Like, it's just like
1: yeah, I feel like it creates like a physiological response. Like you feel so hungry, but once you break that, then all of a sudden, like today, man, we. I eat this morning. We worked out. We had a couple of meetings and stuff, and uh, it was two 30 or something, and I have not even eaten yet. But it, you're not hungry. You're not relying on it. It's like okay, now it's now I have this chance to eat. I'll eat. I'll eat tonight. No big deal.
0: I do that. I do that on the regular in the affiliate. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, like, like if I don't, it's sometimes I'll, sometimes I, I really just enjoy breakfast. So I really try to eat breakfast if at all possible. Like I just like eating breakfast, um, yep. but I'll regularly eat breakfast, go to the affiliate, coach a couple classes, do some stuff around the gym, do some consult, personal training, work out myself and then get home at seven, seven thirty and be like, I haven't eaten in 13 hours. They're
1: like yeah.
0: I didn't die. That's weird.
1: It'd be, it'd be interesting to if you had like a, uh, uh, blood ketone measure, like, a yeah, like, I, I, like when I,
0: when I kind of like looked at it, I was like, I'm kind of accidentally doing intermittent fasting and like my huh. work is the same, I did a, I did an in-body, um, and, and I like I'm not training a ton right now, but I did in-body almost a year apart. And my, my metrics were almost identical. I think I was off by like one percent and a couple pounds i think it was like two pounds and one percent body fat within error you're within error of yeah that
1: could so, have been time of day yeah totally how much yeah, did you have a little bit more water or not for sure yeah it's interesting and like i said i don't think that's for everybody i'm just that's just something that i've been playing around with and it's worked really well and the interesting part of that is for like the first few months when i was doing this i would do some blood ketone measurements uh daily and uh, i was within therapeutic uh, ketosis, So I was like at a one millimole um, ketone level of my blood. So it was, it was interesting to not focus on it. And, you know, I was eating quality food, but not really worried about how many carbs I was getting. But then I'd have this reduced feeding time and then all this time of fasting throughout the day. And I was still producing a reasonable amount of ketones. I mean, yeah. pretty close to what I was producing when I was like deep in ketosis. Yeah, it's it's,
0: yeah the human body is
1: amazing well it's like the, that overused term I think right but there is something too in metabolic flexibility right I think yeah you toy around with things enough and you expose your body to enough I think there is some some metabolic flexibility where it's like okay no foods coming in we have an alternative fuel source for this so let's use it right let's switch let's
0: modes about. and and get it done cool, cool. Um, yeah, I want to switch modes here because I want to talk a little bit about we were talking about coaching and because a lot of the listeners for this podcast are either affiliate owners or coaches. And, and I want, because you're now at Assault Fitness, um, doing a lot of cool stuff for, um, for those guys. But I want to talk about both the bike and the runner, because these are two pieces of equipment that fall absolutely in the same boat as the rower, where the vast majority of coaches are going to mail this in and they're just going to get on there. It's pretty intuitive, you know, you move your arms and your legs and we get it done. But we that's doing our clients a disservice. And this is this is a topic that comes up regularly, which is why people don't program things like a long run or maybe even a long bike. And because that you know, it's always like, Well, nobody's gonna show up. And right, but the question is why? And it's because you're not teaching them anything. That's why cool. they're showing up. So cool. I wanted to ask you like a couple different things about like where can coaches do a little bit better with, a, with regard to fault identification and then, and then like performance tips. Like, Cause I would put myself mostly in the category of like, I know some tricks having been on mm-hmm. the bike a lot, mm-hmm. but I don't know that I could probably coach it effectively by any sure. measurable metric.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing about the bike is I think it's, I think the bike has some very simple points of performance, but like you said, they're often ignored, right? Um, I think starting point, and this is like any any movement. Starting point with the bike is you have to you have to have a the right setup, and it's key. And you know that that starts off with uh, you know seat height. And most people I think have this. You start off at like, hey, we're gonna line this up with my hip. I'm gonna sit on it. I'm gonna put my forefoot on the pedal. I'm gonna make sure there's a slight bend in the knee. Uh, you want them to pedal a little bit. You want to look to make sure that the pelvis isn't rocking. There's no reaching of the legs or anything like that. You could test it that way. You could have them put their heel on the pedal when the pedal's all the way down and make sure the leg is straight, the leg should be straight at that point, forefoot on, slight bend in the knee, and no rocking, right? That's the one I think people have a pretty good grasp of, but it's that forward and aft of the seat, where people, I don't even know if people adjust it. Some do, some don't, but that plays a, that's a big part, you should toy around with it. If you put that seat too far forward, one, it puts you in this like, super upright position where it's really hard to produce force and you feel like you're sliding completely off the seat. right? So it becomes really hard to be efficient and produce any power in this bike if the seat's too far forward. Um, unless you have like a super uh, um, short torso or something where mm-hmm. you require that, like it might require that, but I'm using myself as an example. Then if, for me, if I put the, it too far back, then it feels like I'm falling forward, like my torso's too inclined forward. And you kind of lose that balance, right? So there's no more balance in in my movement while I'm pedaling. So I can't produce force on the pedals and I cannot produce force on the handles. And if you let go of the handle, you're
0: really using
1: so much of this here and was, you know, midline your core to prevent yourself from falling over. So there's gotta be this like happy sweet spot. Now, obviously you, have a longer torso, that might be a, a better position for you. For me, it's kind of right in the middle. And when I'm right in the middle, I can sit on the seat. You know, I can put the handles right next to each other, I'll have a slight bend in the arms, right? If I push one all the way forward, I'm not reaching, I'm not throwing my shoulder really far forward That would really create some unnecessary movement in the torso, which you've probably seen when people are on. Yep. So I'm not reaching, but also I have enough lean to where I can push hard with the arms and press hard into the pedals. But I'm not like fighting to prevent myself from falling forward. That makes sense. Yeah, it,
0: no, it's actually interesting because I've always gone off of like a traditional um, bike setup for the seat, which is, you know, I kind of, when the pedals forward, I want my knee pretty much over the toe, not taking into account that that displacement of the handle changes my position, and that's something. So there's that I'll also do.
1: a double, like a double um, crank arm in the salt bike that changes the the actual like rotation yep. of the pedal, right? Because it's like two now Yep. So it actually changes where that pedal is. So there is a, that um, there is an adjustment that has to take place for that as well, for sure.
0: Um, so I should be able. So if I'm setting up an athlete, I should be able to have them. Uh, are the where are the pedals when they're doing this? It doesn't matter.
1: So let's so it'd be better to look at the handle. So let's okay. say you you think you have the right spot. You sit on the on the bike, and you, I'd want you like nice and upright at this point. So no you're yep. upright at this point, and the handles are together, okay. so side by side, parallel. Yep, you should be able to grip them, and there should be like a slight bend in the arm. Okay, and then from there, the lean that happens would be. When I did this, Go right? So the comes okay. back, forward, and it's and that would be the optimal lean. Okay. And then from there, that's where I want to be. You can kind of hold yourself there. Obviously, everything's engaged here in, in the, ad, the abdominals, Do you'd be able to hold yourself there and produce force here and then produce force in the pelvis.
0: Okay. So once we have this set up, then what are we looking for?
1: So, a couple of things, along with the setup, too, which you've probably seen this, it's just um, making sure that they're gripping correctly. And and now you start to pull points of performance from other movements. So if I'm bench pressing or if I'm shoulder pressing, the bar is always gonna be right there. at The
0: base of the palm,
1: yeah. What do we see a lot in the assault bike, people get tired of this. Now you have a lot of wasted energy, right? We're not pushing, we don't have this direct line of action.
0: So for those of you like, who are not watching the video version of this, like he, Mike's pointing at the base of his palm. And I, I like, always like to describe this. Like if you were going to punch somebody with an open palm, like where would you punch them? You would not punch them with your fingers. You would punch them with the base of the hand, and that's where we Yeah,
1: do. that's where you want it. And sometimes, depending on the workout, the workout itself has a lot of pulling. I'll keep my fingers off, and I'll just focus on the pushing part so I can get that direct line of action from the base of the palm. Got it. So okay. point one. Uh, another point would be, you know, elbows. Like, where are your elbows and what you have. A, uh, what, what are the what are the shoulder position? Right? Everywhere.
0: So, that, from what I've seen on the internet, They're just, they just like, they just flail wherever.
1: Just flowing, <laughs> elbows up, and we've never there. There aren't a lot of movements that I've ever seen where we want like a massively internally rotated shoulder and the elbows flaring really high. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just. <laughs> There aren't there, I mean, maybe swimming, you know, I don't know. Like, oh, I would I think even swimmers. Swim yeah. like yeah. Anyways. Um so we would want the elbows closer to the body, okay, shoulders back and down, so you can create this platform. We get the lats and the, the musculature around the upper back engaged So you have an actual good strong platform to press off of. We want to we wanna reduce this this kind of urge to twist with the, Torso in reach with this internally rotated shoulder. You know, it's here and it's elbows in and pushing. You know, squeezing the abs and pushing from here.
0: Um, as as I, you're de- as you're describing this, I'm thinking back to the games because I had uh, I was judging Katrin on that assault bike, toe ring. rings, one yeah. ring, and she smashed that bike. And didn't even look like she was working. Like, she's just incredibly efficient on the bike. There's not a ton of errant movement on her body. And now, as you're describing this, I'm thinking back to her and I'm like, that's basically exactly how she bikes.
1: You know who else? Matt, look at Matt. I was in the crowd. I remember looking at Matt Fraser and I'm like, dang, like, same thing. Pretty controlled torso position. Elbows were in, good line of action on the handles, nice and smooth. I don't, he wasn't first off the bike, but he was. Up there, getting off the bike, and he was able to. I mean, obviously, he's a monster. So he, there are other things that go into play and why he did so well. But you yeah. conserve energy, right? So when he has the second workout with minimal rest, there's something there to, to to put into that workout. Whereas if you're just like losing all this energy because you have a lot of errant movement, you're smashed. You know, it's just pulling from what you're going to be able to do later on in that workout.
0: So how, do you, how, are you, how are you coaching athletes into that position? Like, are you going step by step? Are you doing some drills? Like, how are you kind of teeing that up?
1: So, yeah, I think step by step is always the key. So, you know, if, if I were, were coaching this, we would obviously get them the right set of position. And then, you know, we could just work on some some arms only to make sure that the elbows are in and we get a good line of action or a good drive uh, from the the heel of the palm from the base of the palm, just working on there.
0: I do that a lot during the ups. is I'll just, I'll do them. I'll have them go like 30 seconds legs and then I'll have them take the legs off, put them on the pegs cool. and just work the arms too, just to see it's if is doing anything crazy.
1: Yeah. Same thing with pulling, keep the elbow close. It's like doing a dumbbell. Row. You take the points performance of like a dumbbell, row, right? Keep the elbow closed, keep the shoulders back and down. So you have that solid platform to pull against. Uh, so it's the same thing with pulling and pedaling. You know, pedaling is a little bit different. Pedaling, you might just have some subtle differences in technique based off of the workout itself. I think generally in a a salt bike, because you don't have clipless pedals or anything like that, you're you're just a flat, flat pedal, Uh, the focus is like 12 to 5, right? Like you just Mm -hmm. push down and you can create that kind of circular motion but the focus, the drive is on that 12 to 5 motion. That being said, if I'm sprinting, in initially try this, maybe you already have, but if you're sprinting, it if you just think the tiniest amount about unweighting that trailing leg, uh things tend to speed up a little bit more. You tend to conserve a little bit of energy. Okay. Um, it happens, it's it's not something that I think has to be thought about much um at like a more of a moderate pace, but when you're going at it and you're sprinting, it's that slight unweighting of that trailing leg puts you right back into that next pedal stroke. I like um, that works really well but they're simple those are just the, the simple things on the bike that I think you can um, you can teach to an athlete and you can coach with your athletes to get them more efficient have them conserve a little bit more energy get more work accomplished I and mean, what are we always pairing this thing up with like squats and all pull-ups and all these things and it's yeah. like you smash stuff on the bike you have nothing you can serve a little bit of energy and get that work accomplished and then put it into the barbell awesome you know um, so yeah that's that's kind of the the simple coaching of of I I love love
0: how you I love and this is obviously what good coaches do you took movements that people already see a lot of right so you talked about the dumbbell row you're talking about keeping the elbows in tight so we're just taking those good movement patterns that we want to see elsewhere. we're just applying them to the bike and so the question you ask yourself as a coach is would that be acceptable if they had some sort of weight in their hand or a barbell? And the answer, if the answer is no, then we need to try to correct that. Do we want them over twisting the torso and, and moving really on un- it? Like same thing if they were running, which is what we're going to talk yep. about. Today. Like I don't want a massive amount of torso rotation when I'm running. It's crazy expensive and it's no different, right. um, That's right. which is Absolutely. the next part, which is most people are not going to get an assault runner. Cause all they see is, you know, it costs a lot of money, and I can run outside. But you and I were talking about some things that um, that I didn't even really think about for whatever reason the other day. And, and, and now I'm kind of in the boat, like every affiliate should have one in their gym, like at least one. And and the counter to that is like, well, I can't use it in a class if I have just one. And I'm like, okay, for sure. However, there's a lot of other usage outside of using it in a class setting.
1: Totally. Yeah, having it in a class setting would be awesome, right? Um, but uh, even if you had just one, a major utility of the air runner is just running assessment. Right? It's, it's, it's really hard, though it's been done for years. It's really hard, and uh, it's very inefficient to coach running technique on a track or through video. You know, so um, because you know you you have you have a split second to look at somebody's technique. And even, even if you can slow it down with, like, coach's eye or a camera, uh, it depends on the, the placement of the camera. Um, you have to, it's a delayed coaching because they're sending you video and you're sending it back, right? Or
0: you're going to get max 20 yards of running.
1: At the, at the most. With the runner, you have this ability to walk and see this athlete from any, single angle, any angle you want to look at them, right? You can give coaching cues. First of all, you can assess it right there. You can start giving coaching cues like you would any movement. And then you have this like real time feedback and instantaneous feedback that's taking place between coach and athlete. I'm the coach. I'm telling you to do something. I'm watching to see if that improved your running technique. You're telling me how that feels. And, and, and that's how we get you to improve. Right? So that alone makes it super valuable to um, to the gym let me give you an example that was really cool because now we're, we're talking about coaching you know one athlete on the runner but we had uh nunu costa come up here on friday just to do
0: yeah he's been on the podcast
1: yeah yeah yeah, and he's he's great super knowledgeable um
0: running awesome is his coaching. jam like he's like that's his shit.
1: totally so we had we had 11 people we had Five at a time on runners. He's walking around, he's assessing all five athletes and then putting us through some drills, coming back, reevaluating five athletes at a time, um, giving some good coaching cues, watching them improve. Then he puts us through a running workout and during that running workout, he's constantly coaching and helping our athletes improve And Then he had the before and after video. It's a one and a half hour clinic you have like 12 athletes, 11 or 12 athletes there, and every single one of them had significant improvements in either you know, torso lean, uh, how quickly they pulled their foot off of the tread, were uh, they reaching, this is landing in the right spot. These are significant improvements to running mechanics across a large group of people that happened in one and a half hours. It's hard for a person to move well you know, off of a runner like that in one and a half hours. I mean, it was nuts. It was nuts. And this, the the people here, they're, you know, some of them are recreational runners. Some of them don't like running at all. So um, you had, you had a good variance in the, the type of athletes that were there and improvements in all.
0: That's, uh, that's super cool because we, so we are probably a little bit, we have five at our gym. Um, that's awesome. And, well, but now I'm, now I'm kind of just realizing like how awesome that is because like we probably would have just, like get on there and run but now I'm thinking about because there's so many things that we most people like from a coaching standpoint you know the the go-to is like hey you're heel striking and I'm like yeah but there's so many like we need to look at arms. we need to look at arm swing we need to look at stride length be like that's going to tell us if they're heel striking it's also going to tell us like how long their foot is going to be on the on the ground as they're making that stride like what does that position look cool. like in the what is their torso really, are they are they like this are they one of these military guys who spent 20 years wearing kit and they naturally run like that because that's a default mechanism to shift load when they're running and how yeah. to correct that athlete from doing that. Cause we have a lot of guys like that. And I'm like myself included for years. I'm like, I got to stop running in this big shift because it feels better if I'm loaded with 50 pounds of shit. Yeah. But I'm thinking about that. I'm like, dude, I'm like, this is, and then, and then pacing as far as like, if you have the ability to have like a metronome which you can pull up on your phone, and look like at people
1: again. Oh, absolutely. Cadence is huge. Cadence is huge. You know, one of the questions we had at the running clinic it was uh, how do you prevent, because uh, people were like slamming the foot into the ground, right? And they were, like, well, how do you prevent that? You teach cadence. You know, once you start to up their cadence somewhere around that like 170 to 190, you start to get that cadence but It's really hard to slam your foot into the ground. It's
0: almost impossible. Like, you, can, right. you, like, you can't do it. Like, you, you have to pick your feet up so quickly to maintain that cadence. Like you, it's just like, yeah, I just, I mean, and it's, some people are like, well, you just tell them to go faster and like, kind of, but not really. Like you can up right. other without, you know, you can still smash your foot on the ground at a pretty high cadence if your stride length is a little bit too long.
1: Totally. Yeah. And the thing about the stride length thing too on the runner is it, it people do it, but it punishes you. When you <laughs> the runner and you're like, oh my gosh, my hamstrings and glutes. And it's like, well, we got this heavy, heavy ass tread and you're gripping the tread way out on the top of that curve and pulling it down behind you, you know what I mean? It's like, come on, man. You know, the idea is to land in the same spot. You know, the cool thing about the runner is because you have this curve, right? You have this curve yeah. right there. You look upright, but there's, a, there's a, already a lean taking place because the lean happens at the ankles, right? So when you're sitting in the right spot on the runner, you already have that your ankles nope. are already like this, you already have that ankle lean taking place. So, you know, if you're standing on a runner, it moves. If you're standing in the right spot, it moves by itself. Yeah. You know, because you're le- it's you got the lean already going on. You're you're on the tread. And if if you're holding on to it and you lean like this, you just bend over, it doesn't do anything. And if you lean more at the ankles, that thing will shoot off behind you. So it get away
0: you- from you real quick.
1: <laughs> it move really quick, right? So it teaches you how to lean correctly. Um which is really cool. And then from there, you just teach your athletes, Well, you're already leaning in this treads moving, what's going to, what's going to take less energy, grabbing it and continuing to push it behind you or just pulling your foot off and getting to the next support. Right?
0: Well, I was, I was running some intervals uh, this afternoon. I was just doing four hundreds and two hundreds, and I, cause I was thinking about our conversation, but even if you didn't have a coach, a, a ton of the real time feedback you're going to get as an athlete on, on the runner is super valuable. Like if, if you find yourself constantly moving for backward and forward on there, like you basically need to work on a lot of different things. It could be stride length. It could be cadence, but you can play with that real time and get all of that real time feedback that I'm going to be able to transfer immediately to, to the, to the, to the road.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, even without a coach for sure. Um, gosh, I was going to say something else about just some of the experience we had on it. Um,
0: are there any drills on there that you've found like you've like found that kind of help people, I don't want to say correct, but like start to get that light to go on about like what kind of that running technique should look like. Cause it's not, it's not necessarily self-correcting, but it is kind of self-correcting when you get on there. Like it's really expensive to run shitty on the air. runner.
1: Oh, it's super expensive. I think the biggest, the biggest thing is just learning. One of the biggest things is, is keep it as simple, right? I think one thing that helps Most people is something as simple as telling them to run tall, because the minute you hunch over on the runner, you're most likely going to overstride, right? And both those things are going to be super ineffective and costly on the runner. So something as simple as run tall, because you're already on the incline, it's already forcing you to lean from the ankle. So I don't need you to lean by putting the shoulders forward. I just need you to be tall. So, and what's interesting is when you look on video, it looks like the torso is straight up and down, but it's because of the curve of the trail, like I said before. So you force them to run tall. It teaches them how to run tall, looking forward. Because what are you going to look at? You're going to look at the console. The minute you look down like this, it starts to pull everything forward. You know. So you want to be looking. You want to learn how to have your head straight and look down with your eyes at the console, if you ever need to look at the console, and pulling your foot. Because once you do that, once you're leaning correctly and you're nice and tall, and you're looking straight ahead, that tread's going to move. It's going to start moving. So you just have to learn how to pull correctly. It's, funny. it's, pull. it's, it's, it
0: goes, it's funny how it works because you can tell on there when you – like I was thinking about it today. Like I can tell when I got into a good stride and like I was getting my feet up when I should. Like, you know, shockingly, it was easier. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then – but, you know, then the challenge is like, okay, like how do I maintain this? You know, because right. – that, that's always been, I guess, I guess my argument of, like, some of the pose positions, you know, like, and I'm not saying pose is bad, but, like, I'm just not sure, like, how sustainable that is, like, as I stretch the distance out, you know?
1: You know, you know what's interesting about that is from all the reading I've done on running, there are some things that, um, technique-wise, are, like, that everybody agrees on, right? Yeah. And then there's, like, one main thing that's we don't agree on, and that's, like, heel strike, midfoot strike, forefoot strike. But... I think that is less important uh, to where you strike. Okay. So, and I don't even think that everybody has to strike their foot right underneath their center of mass and their hips. In yep. reality, very few people probably hit that spot like right on. That's, that's like the loading point. But what I think is probably more important with running is that you know, there's this spot where you want to land um, where the knee is bent. So you land, you're landing and the knee is bent. If your foot's in front of your knee, you got some problems, right? Now you're talking about jamming your foot in the ground, in this braking mechanism, having low, or the, the shock of that, uh, of that impact going up bone instead of muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, but cool. if you can get the foot at least, at the very least, under the knee or closer to um, center of mass in the hips, that's gonna be your sweet spot. And maybe it's a range about that much. Yeah. And with some of the research I've looked at recently has shown that a lot of people that are hitting their heels in that spot are not creating a lot of impact with the heel. It's kind of like they're kissing the ground with the heel. And the majority of the loading happens when the um, foot rolls to midfoot and then they pull their foot off the ground.
0: But well, now that I'm thinking about it, if your if your heel hits there, it can't be on the ground that long anyway.
1: No, it's not. And by by time you hit midfoot, that's when like the majority of of let's say gravity and the force of the body is really creating that, uh, a, a pushing down, right? Um, so that's pretty interesting because then at that point, you know, you start to read about high level triathletes and even marathon runners that start off with a four foot strike and then end with a heel strike, but where they strike never changes. So as they fatigue, they're okay, because then it becomes super cost effective, and the calves are are smashed, you know, twenty something miles into a race. Well, it's okay at that point. Now they can run with their heel hitting the ground, but it's still hitting or striking in the same spot. And I think there are, are quite a few uh, high-level marathoners and triathletes that will switch uh, throughout their race from a. Yeah, that's mindset.
0: for me. That's one of those ones that's kind of. It, it, like the running and I'm like, there's good runners. And, and and there's a lot of what, like what you said is like, m- the majority of the mechanics are where they should be. And then there's like these weird little, you know, I, I guess like flavors that people put on it based on their biomechanics and anthropometrics yeah. and all that stuff. Just like weightlifting, right? Just like, there's some key things we want in weightlifting. But after that, I'm like, you're gonna see a lot of people that are gold medalists with a slight in in the elbow, or maybe they're pulling from the toes a little bit earlier. And I'm like, listen, when you get to that point, that's just personal preference at that point.
1: Oh. Well, and then like, we've, we've all learned you know, from all the years in training CrossFit movement that we have that, dude, there's just not one, one way to teach any movement to 100% of the people. You know what I'm saying? Like, there are some things that should happen for sure. And, and we just said that with running. There are some things like, no, we don't want you overreaching, we don't want you slamming your heel on the ground with your foot in front of you. I don't want you leaning or bending at the hip. Obviously, that's not, not good, right? There are some, some key things that's like it's like in, in the air squat or in any squat. There are some key points of performance everybody should do, right? Like, I don't want you squatting with, a, with load or the rounded back, but there are some things that maybe are, um, that we can argue about a little bit. One of them being, you know, your knees come in a little bit. Should they always stay out, like, I don't know some athletes can obviously lift when their knees come in and here's a funny quote man I, i'm sorry i just completely went off track but so uh, i'm going to butcher this quote but it, it always i've always uh, thought about it um travis cooper uh yep high level weightlifter in the southeast he luckily we had him at CrossFit atlanta and uh, he trained our team when we were competing in, in Olympic lifting and really helped us out but anyways uh, he went out to California, and he was training with a really high-level um, Olympic lifting coach. And I don't remember what country this guy was from, but he was super high-level Olympic lifting coach. And he, he said that they, they were allowed to ask this coach a question. And Travis said, um, who have you co- who, who, out of all the people you've coached, who had the best technique? And he said, the guy who had the most weight on the bar. <laughs> I was like, totally, right? Dude, if you if you're, lift, you know, if you're the fastest person in the world, you're lifting the most way in the world, you're the best crossfitter in the world. Like whatever it is, man, like, Hey, you're doing something right. You yeah. And I bet you, if you take all those guys and there's going to be a couple little nuanced things that maybe don't fit perfectly, but 99% of their technique is right there. Yeah. And, but we hold on to the nuance, right? It's like, ah, yeah, me's out. You know, like yeah, But look at everything. everything else is great. Everything else is the way you teach it. You know, it's like it's his knee.
0: I'm like, yeah, he's squatting 300 kilos, so maybe, maybe he'll be <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> probably be all right. I'm sure he's fine. <laughs> I'm
1: sure he's gonna be all right. Yeah, yeah. It's just, a, it's just a funny thing. I always I was, always, always remember that.
0: Yeah, he was the best knee, the best technique. Whoever finished
1: first. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. And you tend to see it, right? I mean, look at. Look at the athletes on, on the men and women's side, even at the games who have won.
0: Yeah. well. That, so I talk about that every weekend at the level one. And this is something that we, you know, comes up in the technique lecture. And it's just like, listen, it is it is a not a coincidence. And I can speak to this from a judging standpoint. The winners, from a judging standpoint, they are not a problem.
1: No. You, they, you like, tell them no rep or give them a warning, dude, and they're – They're not going to waste the time to argue that rep has already changed and they're three reps reps deep, but they,
0: but they all just move well. Like their movement is very,
1: it's
0: just like, Oh no, that was a good squat. I'm not, nobody's out there with a protractor on, on the winners. Be like, I don't know if that was below parallel. And then I'm like, like, you just don't have to talk to those guys. They just move well. So when you look at that and you're just like, no wonder you're not as tired as everybody else. Like you're just more efficient than everybody else. And, And And Henshaw talks about coach Henshaw talks about this too, is like they move well, and then something that you can learn from both the bike and the runner is they understand pacing.
1: Right, they understand pacing, and that's what I was saying to you before the show started is like even with one thing that I've noticed a lot with my training lately, and I don't train for anything other than
0: to actually, try to be the fittest person right? in your house.
1: Yeah, exactly, which I'm not, you know <laughs> Which I'm not. But I'm trying to get back out of the top, but anyway. So I started. running. I wanted to start running again back in April because I, you know, I used to enjoy running before I was a CrossFitter. I was uh, a triathlete. I loved running. I was like it was meditative. I'd go out for a run and come back, and I was like, "Oh, it's amazing," you know. Quickly, I lost that, and for the last I don't know 12 years or so, I I've, I I would count every step. Every step I'd feel, and I hated every step of a run. You know, <laughs> and like it was. I'm like, man, I, I miss just going out for a run. in freaking California. The weather's beautiful. We have trails and good road and the beach and all this stuff. I want to go out for a run and actually enjoy it. So started running more to New News Coaching and uh, run three days a week. And obviously that improved, right? And I enjoyed running again and all my running uh, performances has shot up. But the cool thing is like we do short intervals, moderate intervals, long intervals, and then long days. And in running those types of intervals and then applying it to workouts, you start to understand your body's response to intensities. You know what I'm saying? So then you start to create on your own these, these gears, and um, it really helps out with, with pacing. Like You understand the workout, the intention of the workout, how long it should be, how long it's going to take, what it's going to take to get through it. And it's like, okay, well, I've done this. Like I'm done with running, but I understand what this kind of intensity feels like. Yeah, it's mixed modal, and there are some other things that are going to play, you know, into my fatigue level, but I still have a good understanding of what it's going to take and the, kind of the speed. And I don't mean like running speed, but just like breathing and heart rate and all those things that maybe you're not measuring with a lot, but you can feel it, you know, and when you're in tune with that, then you can kind of self-select that pace you want to attack that workout.
0: It's funny you bring up heart rate because I've been playing around with heart rate monitors lately, doing the same thing, just trying to yeah. see, I'm like, and, and then kind of just checking. Um, but it's interesting because I'm like, man, I feel like I'm overreaching and I'll check the board, the screen real quick. And I'm like, yep, yep. 170 is yeah. reaching. Yeah. Yeah. I should probably oh, yeah. probably throttle yeah. back a little bit, you know?
1: Oh, um, you know, man, like you're, what's your intuitive? Dude? You don't even need a heart rate monitor anymore. No.
0: But it, you it, it is interesting once you start to refine that a little bit, you're like, okay, what is the sweet spot that allows me to continue at this pace, you know, yeah. but in my my thing is like use a heart rate monitor, but you know, it, it can't be just heart rate. It needs to be in the presence of some other data. Like what, what's the work that you're doing, whether it's running or lifting and that's, that's where that really, in my opinion, becomes valuable. Not just like you burned a bunch of calories. Like that doesn't tell uh-huh. me. You know what my biological output was so that that's what i think is like we're going to start playing around with it because i think it is super valuable if used intelligently
1: absolutely absolutely i mean we talked about it you know I, I, when, when, when i was teaching level ones and obviously when you're there about it's a correlate to intensity but there's no doubt that there are changes in heart rate as intensity changes right could it be off to some degree based off of other factors going on in life absolutely but it does give you some data that you can use if you, like you said, if you use it intelligently. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, listen, dude, I know you're a busy guy. We've talked about a ton of stuff. Uh, and I know you're trying to get home, trying to get out of there for the work day, bro. So um, last question, uh, any, yeah. book, any book that you recommend um, doesn't have to be like, not even fitness related, just like something you've gotten into recently. You're like, that's a good book that you recommend. Or if there's something that you just, there is a book that you recommend everybody read.
1: Hmm. Bam. Jeez. Um, you know, I, I, this is going to be way off topic and it's not going to do anything for our readers other than entertain them. And I think most people or a lot of people have probably read it, but, um, I got into the Dave Castro kick of fiction man. so this is going to be totally off training topic.
0: Oh, that's perfect. You know, it's educate and inspire and entertain. So we, we got to check that box.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I, you know, Dave at one of the Flowmaster meetings, or well, I don't remember which meeting it was, but it was last year he gave us all a book and I read The Pearl and that was great. It was kind of a starting off point. And I asked Dave, I said, Dave, what? I want to read, like, I want to really attack a, a book here, man. Like, give me the best one of all the ones you've read. What's the best one? And he told me the Count of Monte Cristo. Did you have to get the unabridged version? Things like this thick. And man, I couldn't put it down, dude. That was one of the, it definitely was one of the best stories, one of the best books i ever read. And I followed it up with um, A Tale of Two Cities, Ooh. which is really good. It took me some time to understand or follow uh, Charles Dickens' kind of language and writing style a little bit, a couple of chapters before I was like, okay, now I know every time what he's talking about. But those two books, uh, you know, I, I guess for me, I mean, and for anybody dude how often do we read articles or listen to podcasts or watch videos on something technical about training nutrition this or that and man how refreshing is it to like read something and just be entertained? just check out what's gonna what's gonna happen next what's gonna happen next yeah i don't remember the last time i read anything like
0: that that's really cool that's uh that's something i need to do better at i take i tend to read a lot of the same stuff like which, Which is business.
1: great. Right? It's our business, right? Yeah, but, our I, business. but I do
0: think there's something to be said for like being able to detach. And like, I do, I, this is all completely anecdotal, but I, I think the mind needs that.
1: I think it does. And I think you learn um, without realizing it, some awesome communication skills by reading some of those classic novels. Right. I mean, I think there's a lot that you learn there most subconsciously without, you know, without realizing it. Uh, that you can apply to relationships and talking to other people um so it's, maybe it does help with a certain skill set that is useful in our in our uh in our jobs you know but um it. yeah it's, it's fun
0: i'm gonna get some fiction i'm gonna get some fiction reading on there um yeah. all right guys um, if you guys need to get a hold of mike he is on the ig um also mm-hmm. you can get him up and follow some stuff If you guys have not looked at Assault Fitness, they have, uh, and you're looking for programming they offer, do do offer a lot of programming on there. Just like I subscribe to the emails and we try to like sprinkle some of that stuff in there in our programming. Um, So check those out. But you're going to be way better armed to coach the Assault Bike, to coach the air Runner, and improve people's fitness. So dude, it was great catching up. I really appreciate your time. Awesome, man. Thanks for
1: having me on the show, dude. This is great. Awesome. All right, brother thanks again for listening to best hour of their day. We hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did one more time, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and send us any feedback you have to at best hour of their day on Instagram and best hour of their day at gmail.com if you want to shoot us an email. We appreciate you. Thanks again. have a great rest of your day.